I'm really glad that you're here. I'm glad I'm here with you. I want to invite you to take your Bible and find the Gospel of Luke. When you've made your way to Luke's Gospel, just flip, flip over to chapter 13. Luke chapter 13. We're beginning something new today. We're beginning a new series today, um, a series on the Gospel of Luke. Really, we're just setting the table today. This is an introduction to Luke's gospel and to this series. And um, I want to say some things by why, excuse me, by way of introduction. First thing I want to say is something about who this series is for. And I'm going to name four groups of people. This series that we're beginning in the Gospel of Luke is, first of all, for the frustrated. Those who are frustrated with the church, and by church I mean the broader church that belongs to Jesus, not just Prairie Hill Church, but those who are frustrated with the church in general, who are disappointed with the church, who have even walked away from the church and have stopped listening to the church. At one time in life, the church meant something to you, and now it means much less to you. You're frustrated. I want you to know that I have you in mind. The second group that I have in mind is the wounded. Those who would love so much to draw near to Jesus and his church, but they're still trying to heal from the wounds that they've received from the church and her leaders and other Christians. And if, that, if that's you, I want you to know that I have you in mind. There's a third group that I have in mind, and that group is just a group that I'm calling the dreamers. Those whose hearts are alive with hope that there is more to this Christian life than they have seen so far. That there is beauty in living the life of a Christian. That there is passion in this Christian life. And everything good and virtuous. Those of you who are hoping that there is a gospel that is not only worthy of obedience, but also worthy of affection. Not just something to obey, but that there's something here to love. If that's you, I have you in mind. 
The fourth group that I have in mind as we begin this series of the study of the Gospel of Luke is um, I'm just calling the settled. And this is the group that I'm in for sure. And by the settled, I mean those of us who have been thinking about God for a long time. And we have settled into religious patterns of life. But is it the Christian life? Is it at least worth asking the question if all of our patterns that we have developed now that we've become well settled in this tradition have led to the Christian life? Or is it some other kind of life? Now, this series is for everyone, of course. Everyone, whether you believe in Jesus, whether you do not believe in Jesus, it's for everyone. But I want you to know that if you're in one of those groups, I have you especially in mind. Are you able to locate yourself somewhere in there, the frustrated, the wounded, the dreamers, the well-settled? I have you in mind as we open the Gospel of Luke. What are we going to do in this series? What's going to happen? Where are we going? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to try and answer the question that Jesus poses at Luke 13, 18. The question that Jesus poses at Luke 13, 18 is, what is the kingdom of God like? If you're in any of those categories that I just mentioned a few moments ago, if you're in any of those categories, what I want you to know is that the reason that Jesus had to set that question before humanity, the reason that he even had to ask that question and sets that up for us is that none of us know what the kingdom of God is like. That's why he has to ask the question and search for just the right words to describe it because we don't know. It's foreign to us. And I think there's a pretty good chance that it's still foreign to us. That's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to unpack a bit more the idea of the kingdom of God this morning and see how prominent it is in Luke's gospel and try to assess how prominent it is in our lives. Okay? That's where we're headed. Just an introduction. We're only going to read two verses and then we'll get into the the meat of the message here talking about the kingdom of God. Let's read verses 18 and 19. Um, If you're able to, in honor of God and his word, let's stand for the reading of the word. Luke 13, verses 18 and 19. He, and that's Jesus, he said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden. And it grew and became a tree. And the birds of the air made nests in its branches. 
Father, we give this time to you once again. Um, Help us greatly by means of the Holy Spirit. Um, I pray for each listener that's come, um, that they would be able to give over their, their whole mind and heart to give attention to what Jesus is telling us here as we begin the study of this great gospel of Luke that you've given us. So help us. We are greatly in need of your help. And I pray you'd give us a lot of joy along the way. And we pray in Jesus' lovely name, amen. Please be seated. I think if, if we want to try to make good progress today, it's going to be helpful to set a few anchor points first. Um, right at the beginning, a couple of points regarding this idea of the kingdom of God. I want to say a little bit more about the kingdom of God right here up front, these two things, okay? First thing we need is a working definition of what does that mean? And we can say it very simply this way, all right? Kingdom of God, what is that? The kingdom of God, this is very, very simple. The kingdom of God is that realm in which God is reigning, It's very simple. That makes sense, doesn't it? The kingdom of God is that realm in which God is reigning. I'll probably say that a a million times in this series. What is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is that realm in which God is reigning. That's our first anchor point, okay? Here's the second one. We need to know something about the nature of this kingdom, what we need to know is that there is an already and not yet nature to this kingdom. We need to know that in a sense it has already come. In a sense the kingdom of God is already come. And in a sense the kingdom of God is not yet. Kingdom of God, yes, already here. Kingdom of God, no, not yet. And it's, it's very simple to think of it in, in these three points to understand just this about the kingdom of God, that the kingdom of God was present on earth in the person of Jesus. When Jesus was on the earth, in his person, he was the realm in which God was reigning. The kingdom of God was present on earth in the person of Jesus. Now, present day, the kingdom of God is present on earth in the Christian. Today on earth, the Christian is the realm in which God is reigning. If you're a believer in Jesus, that means you. That means you. You are the presence of the kingdom of God on earth right now. So, was present in the person of Jesus, is present on earth in the Christian, and will be present on earth in the eternal state, in all of its fullness, 
The kingdom of God is present now, yes, but not in all of its fullness. But it will be. It will be when Jesus returns, when the king is here. The kingdom will come in all of its fullness on that day, in the eternal state, in the kingdom that will never end. So bear that in mind as we go. I think that that will be helpful for us, that the kingdom of God is that realm in which God is reigning, and it was present on earth in Jesus, and it is present on earth in the Christian, and it will be present on earth in the eternal state, in all of its fullness. So it's already, and it's not yet. Those are our two anchor points. We know something about what it is. We know something about the nature of it, how it's already and and not yet. Now, I've called this sermon the great discrepancy. And this is really all we want to notice today, just this one great discrepancy, namely that Jesus emphasized the kingdom of God. He was almost always talking about it. And we, on the other hand, hardly ever mention it. That's called a discrepancy. That's a great discrepancy. How could Jesus talk about it so much and we talk about it so little? If you're following along um, with an outline, this is the first major point today, our first reflection. Just this one point. Jesus emphasized the kingdom of God. He emphasized it at the beginning of his public ministry. So flip back to Luke 4, verse 43. We're noticing how the kingdom of God was on his mind and in his words right from the beginning, okay? This is the very beginning of his ministry. He's gone through, so he's been baptized. He's gone through the wilderness temptations. Preached in his home synagogue at Nazareth. Now he's getting ready to launch out to other parts, more remote parts. He's all set to go, and this is his comment on the situation, Luke 4, 43. I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well. There it is. I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God. For I was sent for this purpose. How many of us have been, have been, would have been able to fill in that blank with the kingdom of God? I was sent to preach the good news of If I just gave you a piece of paper and said, fill in this blank of what you think Jesus probably said at the very beginning, that he was sent to preach the good news of what? I probably would have said the gospel or forgiveness of sins or something like that. How many of us would have known that in his own words that he was sent to preach the good news of the kingdom of God? It's not that those other things weren't integral to his message. The gospel of the forgiveness of sins, of course, it's integral to his message. It's that those things don't represent the fullness of his message. 
They don't represent the entirety of his message. He took as his subject the kingdom of God right from the beginning. Not only that, not only right at the beginning, but also at the very end of his earthly ministry. Now, a lot of you know that Luke, the same person that wrote the Gospel of Luke, also wrote the book of Acts. So flip over to Acts 1. Same author. We've got to go through John. Don't get lost on your way through John, okay? Luke, John, Acts 1. Post-resurrection. Jesus has been raised. He's spending time with his disciples before he ascends back to the Father. Put yourself in that moment. Think about all the other things that he could have been speaking to his disciples about, all the things they needed to know. Now look at verse 3 of Acts 1. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. It's still his subject at the very end. Think about all the other things that they needed to know. Think about what was ahead of those men. Things were about to get real for these guys. They are going to have, you know the story, they're going to have all kinds of problems with the governing authorities. They're going to have Jew-Gentile conflict. They're going to have intra-church conflict. They've got all kinds of decisions to make. They've got persecution coming. They've got martyrdom coming. They've got mission trips to do. They've got churches to plant. They've got sermons to give. There were so many nuts and bolts things that they needed to do in front of these guys. And Jesus spoke to them about the kingdom of God. That was his priority. That's what he wanted to talk to them about. He's spent that time speaking about the kingdom of God. That was his priority. And I have to tell you, it's still the priority today. I don't know how many days I have left with you at Prairie Hill. I hope it's more than 40. But if this subject of the kingdom of God was important enough for Jesus to spend his last 40 days on earth with the disciples talking about, it's certainly important enough for us to spend our time talking about it. Even with all of the other stuff going on around us, think about everything that we could be talking about right now. The conflict around us is like a a tornado of knives. It's all over the place. We've got the whole country and the whole world and the whole church seemingly set ablaze with problems. Conflict within, conflict without. We've got all kinds of decisions to make about strategy and changing ministry paradigms. We've got things to consider regarding relationships with governing authorities. All those same kind of things that the original disciples had in front of them, we've got pretty much the same set of things in front of us. And in the midst of all this chaos, we just 
step back and we stop and we look at Acts 1. We notice that Jesus' priority was to speak to them about the kingdom of God. He spoke about it first in his ministry. He spoke about it last in his ministry. A total of uh, 31 times in the Gospel of Luke, you will find that exact phrase, kingdom of God, 31 times. They're all highlighted in my Bible. You can do that too. 31 times. And then there are an additional six times where it's only the word kingdom, but the reference is clearly to the kingdom of God. That's an additional six. So Jesus majored on this idea of the kingdom of God, which makes it so shocking that we hardly ever talk about it. And that's our second point. Remember, we're noticing the discrepancy. Jesus emphasized it, the kingdom of God. We hardly ever talk about it. He was almost always talking about it. We almost never talk about it. And I think there are some reasons for that. I'm just going to mention three reasons we can point to for why, probably why we don't talk about the kingdom of God. Hardly ever. And the first one, very simply, is that we probably just don't know what it means. For most of our lives, including myself, most, if, if you would have asked me, what does the kingdom of God mean? I probably would have said, well, that's probably heaven. Or I might have just said, I don't know. I don't know what that means. We just don't know. And to be fair, it is a hard concept to get a handle on. And so we tend to spend more time talking about the things we can really grab onto and leave the nebulous aside and we'll let the scholars handle that. That's the first reason we, we may just not know what it means, and so we don't talk about it. Second one, I think, getting a little bit closer, cutting a little more to the heart, the second reason that we don't talk about it is because we probably don't view it as essential. We don't view it as essential to talk about it. We are descendants of the revivalist movements of the 1800s in our country. And then into the 1900s, the various crusades and revivals. All of that happened here, and all of that was good. But as such, I think that we're most likely to say that the only essential thing to talk about is the need for a person to say the sinner's prayer to assure themselves of a salvation to come after death so that they can go to heaven and not to hell. We're likely to say that's the only essential thing to talk about. That as long as a person does that, that the essential thing has been done and anything else that they may learn or experience is sort of in this other category of good but not necessary. And I don't want to miss I don't want you to misunderstand, so I want to be really careful here. I'm not saying that 
those things I just mentioned aren't essential. Of course they are. I'm saying that that's not all that's essential. For a Christian to know or for someone to be discipled in. If we just leave it at pray this prayer and then you'll be okay after you die and we never say anything about the kingdom of God, we're just noticing that our emphasis and teaching is a great departure from what Jesus emphasized and taught. That's all we're saying. That if we leave our, our teaching of people at the, the bare essential salvation message, it's just a great departure from what Jesus did. He had much more to say. If we never mention the kingdom of God, then we never mention the thing that he was almost always mentioning. And so I think we have to ask ourselves, why is this so? Why this great difference between what we emphasize and what he emphasized? And I think one big reason is that we've just not viewed this teaching as essential. And the argument that I'm making is that if Jesus majored on it, if it's what he talked about first and last and all the way through, if he majored on it, it must be essential. That just means we have to play catch up. We have to figure out what we've missed, what we failed to see, and what we haven't paid attention to. Here's the third reason that we don't talk about the kingdom of God much or hardly ever. Third reason is we just don't see it as immediately available. Don't understand it. Don't see it as essential. Thirdly, we just don't see the kingdom of God as something that's immediately available to us. You know, even if we admit that learning about the kingdom of God is important, we may still see it as a far-off reality that doesn't pay off now. And so we're not inclined to take it as urgent or helpful or pertaining to real life right now. And we, we live our lives in a society where we can click checkout for something on Amazon and then it shows up on our doorstep almost immediately. And when we want something, we want it now. We're used to that kind of availability and this kingdom of God seems awfully far away and otherworldly, like not usable right now. I want to tell you that that's why it's so thrilling to open up the gospel of Mark chapter one and read that Jesus' first words in that gospel and probably first words ever recorded in any gospel that his very first words were, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. At hand. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's here. It's available. It's able to be entered into. At long last, it's at hand. It's reachable. It's enterable. It's livable right now. It's come. It's here. And anyone can enter into it immediately. 
Because it's at hand. It's at hand in the person of Jesus Christ. And anyone can enter into that kingdom of God through him. Anyone can enter through repentance and belief in the person of Jesus. That was the second part of his message. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So what we have not seen as immediately available is, on the contrary, at hand. It's here for you now. This kingdom is for right now. Okay, we've taken a few minutes to talk about some of the reasons that we hardly ever talk about the kingdom of God. Let's pursue this one step further. Take one more mental step with me and ask this further question. What have the results been of our failure to teach and understand the kingdom of God? We've talked about some of the reasons, but what have the results been of our lack of emphasis on the kingdom. Well, they've been, uh, they've been numerous. Way, way more than we could even list and certainly don't have time to even come close to talking about all of the results of our failure to emphasize the kingdom of God as Jesus did. I just want to broadly say Name three results. Three things that we have seen happen because of our lack of emphasis on the kingdom of God. Broadly speaking, three things. Very simply, Christians with other allegiances, Christians with other loves, Christians with other priorities. Broadly speaking, those are the results we've seen. Christians with other allegiances besides the kingdom of God. Christians with other loves besides the kingdom of God. Christians with other priorities besides the kingdom of God. As we go through Luke's gospel, we will see Jesus interact with all three types He will be interacting with God's people, with his own ethnic Jewish people, God's chosen people. He will be interacting with all three types. People with other and higher allegiances than to the kingdom of God. People with other loves that love other things more than the kingdom of God. And people that just plain have other priorities than the kingdom of God. We'll see, we'll see all those interactions take place in front of us. And of course, we don't have to look that far to see those results. We don't have to go to the scriptures. We can see that in, the own, in our own room. I can see that in myself. My other allegiances, my other loves, my other priorities... And I'll just say this in summary, and then we'll move on to the last point. And this is really hard. But if we're going to deal honestly, this this has to be said about the results 
of not emphasizing the kingdom of God. If we're going to be honest, we have to say this, that the results of God's people not holding the kingdom of God as primary in their hearts and minds, the results of that reality have been catastrophic. The results were catastrophic for Jesus. The results continue to be catastrophic. History bears witness to this. Atrocities are committed in the name of God. It's not just that atrocities are committed. Atrocities have been and are committed In the name of God. When God's people do not value the clearly expressed values of the kingdom. Atrocities are committed in the name of God when the kingdom of God and its clearly expressed values are ignored to make room for other allegiances, loves, and priorities. That's happened, and it still happens. So you see, it's not just good for us to take up a study of the kingdom of God, it's necessary. That's the great discrepancy, that Jesus emphasized the kingdom. We hardly ever talk about it. That's the discrepancy, the great discrepancy. But let's end with the positive. Let's mention the great opportunity, okay? Let's end with something positive and good, and that is the great opportunity that is before us, and that opportunity is to seek the kingdom of God together. It's a wonderful opportunity that's before us to seek the kingdom of God together at this particular time in this particular place. Within the the broader church that belongs to Jesus, I'm not telling you anything you don't already know when I say that these are times of polarization, frustration, confusion, deconstruction, Disagreement, dissatisfaction. These days that we are living in are days of disenfranchisement and dysfunction and even on the part of some disgust. But more than anything, it's a time of weariness. And the good news is, is that there is a kingdom that is not of this world with a king who is perfect and that his kingdom is at hand and that his kingdom may be sought and that we've been told to seek it. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness And all these things will be added to you as well.
So that's what we're going to do together for two years. We're going to spend two years soaking in the kingdom of God. According to the gospel of Luke. And it's going to be so good to take these things in over a long period of time. That's how the first 12 disciples took Jesus in. They took him in over a long period of time, measured in years. Years to listen to how his voice sounded. Years to observe his tone and his priorities and his body language. Think about how carefully they must have watched him. And observed him over a long period of time. What bothered him and what didn't bother him. Who he made time for. How he acted. How he responded. How he spent his time. What was important to him and what wasn't important to him. They took him in over a period of years and learned what it meant To live in the kingdom of God. And that's our goal too. To find out what this kingdom is like. Here is just a partial list of what we'll learn about the kingdom. As we enter into this study of the gospel of Luke. Just a partial list. What's the nature of this kingdom? Is it physical or is it spiritual? Or is it both? What are the values of this kingdom? How does one enter into this kingdom? What does it cost to enter the kingdom? When may the kingdom be entered? The gospel of Luke is going to show us all these things. Who is the king and what is he like? How do we talk to him? What are the goals of this kingdom? Is there opposition to this kingdom? And if so, what is the nature and intensity of that opposition? How does the kingdom grow? What are the requirements of the citizens of this kingdom? What are the activities of the kingdom? What are we supposed to be doing? How do we treat each other as fellow citizens? And what about people who refuse to enter the kingdom? What happens to them? Luke is going to show us all of those things. And we're going to begin next Sunday by noticing what power means in this kingdom. How do you get power in this kingdom? Who gets it? And what is it to be used for? That's what's ahead of us as we get started next Sunday in Luke 1. And our goal is simply to sit at the feet of Jesus like Mary of Bethany. Remember that beautiful picture? We're going to meet Mary of Bethany in Luke Luke 10. That's all we're going to do. We're just going to be content to sit at Jesus' feet amid all all these cries to do other things that are more important. All the people that are calling us away and objecting 
telling us to move on to something else, something more important, the thousand other needs of the hour, we're going to set it all aside to be silent and to sit and to listen to what Jesus is saying. Amen. Father, we admit that for most of us, we're just starting over. (laughs) I just bring you that myself, and, and I say to you plainly, I feel like I'm starting over. I took the course the first time, but I didn't do so good. I wasn't listening very well. I need a remedial course. I need to sit down and listen again more carefully this time. I pray for the the frustrated, for the wounded, for the dreamers, and for the settled. I pray for the settled that we would be shaken. I pray for the dreamers that they would be satisfied. I pray for the wounded that they would be thrilled with what they find here in Jesus. I pray for the the frustrated that they would be encouraged and comforted to hear about the kingdom and the wonderful king. I just come to you in faith, Father, saying that we believe these words are true. Help us understand what it means, and more importantly, help us to live it out. We dedicate it all to you for Jesus' glory, and we ask in his holy name. Amen.